0: Church, eh? You tell your friends they missed the choir if they weren't here this morning, and see what they missed. I wish I was preaching on Daniel. I just got to tell you that uh, that would have been just about perfect, but uh, it's not to be. Um, instead, we're back to Galatians. Uh, okay, so we've been talking about the gospel, and this series is called Gospel DNA, and uh, we've been looking at Galatians and. If, if, if life in Christ, if being part of the church means you've got to believe in Jesus, it's Jesus plus nothing. You can't add the law to it. If that's the way things are, what are we supposed to do about the law? I mean, What do we do with the law? How are we supposed to handle it? And, and there, are, there are things about the law that we may, may even have questions about. If you have notes in your bulletin, now would be a good time to pull those out because there's some fill-in-the-blanks and things. So look in your bulletin, pull that out. Uh, The first scripture I have in your notes there comes from Leviticus 19.28, part of the law, part of Torah, and it says this, Don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So so what do do we do with a verse like that? Well, I've never cut my body for the dead. and I don't have any tattoos. So I guess I'm fine. But if you all have tattoos, maybe you're not fine. Well, what, what do you do with that verse? Right now, there's a lot of parents of teenagers going, Amen, Amen. (laughs) That's right. Read it. Preach it. Now, if I will follow Leviticus 19, verse 28, will I also follow Leviticus 19, verse 27, which reads, the verse before, don't cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Now, I got a haircut last night from my wife. I don't know if she did it properly. And for that matter, I do trim my beard. And I don't have one. I mean, I don't even have the beard. I have a goatee. And, and, and I remember one time I went on a, a missions trip, and I've always kind of wanted a beard. It's, it's a secret uh, desire of mine. And I, and I grew this beard out on my missions trip, and I came home and Christy saw me after a week, and the first thing she said to me was, that's got to go. <laughs> All right? And so I shaved it off. But what I should have done was read Leviticus 19.27 and says, no, no, wife, this is a, this is a holy beard. A holy beard. And some of you all have holy beards in today. So um, there you are, you're, you're Torah following Christians. But that brings up the question, what do we do with Torah? What do we do with the law? What is, what is the point of having it today if, if that's not adding to our salvation? It's just Christ alone. What do we do with it? And that's a good question. And I think when the world looks at the church that's a question that they have, and I see it coming up in debates a lot today. Because what you'll often find today, especially on some of the hot button issues, say homosexuality, that you'll hear people say, well, why should I follow that law? Why does the church say that's an important law, but, but the tattoo law is not, or the, or the marking the body for the dead, we don't really th- even talk about that. Or what about the, the food laws? Do you eat the way a good Jewish person eats, or do you eat pork? And if you don't follow the the unclean foods, why do you follow this law over here? That's hypocritical, some will say. So I feel like it's really important for us to understand this if we're going to have a good answer for the world that says, you Christians pick and choose what laws you want to follow out of the Old Testament. And furthermore, do you stone anybody that, 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 that messes up in these laws? Do you stone the rebellious son? like it says in in the the Old Testament? No. Well, then you're being hypocritical. Why are you forcing your views on me and picking and choosing? I say we're not picking and choosing at all, but we have to know how to use the law correctly. Okay, so if you would turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, I also provided in your notes, in the bulletin, an alternate translation. I'm going to read from the alternate translation here. It's not the Nile version, don't worry. But um, all I've done in this translation in your notes is I've taken two words and tried to explain them further. One is the word justified. The word justified is is a legal term that that designates God saying, you the sinner are no longer guilty because of Christ's death. Not guilty. It's God declaring us to be righteous in Christ. So what I've done is I've taken the word justified and I've changed it to read declared righteous. Just for clarification purposes. Okay, I don't feel like we had to change the word justified or get rid of it from our vocabulary. I think you should know it. But for clarification, I have it that way in here. The other word that I've added, I've I've altered slightly, and these are all italicized in your notes, is the word faith. I've translated the word faith as faithful. So instead of verse 16 reading... Um, we are declared righteous by observing the, not by observing the law, but by faith in Christ. That's what NIV says. I've translated that by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And I will defend that translation in a few minutes. Just go with me on it and we'll get to that verse and we'll, we'll talk more about why I translate it that way. So here it is. Galatians 2, verse 15. By the way, when I preached this last night, it took me an hour. So I hope for your sake it doesn't take me that long again. Um, and and this I, I, we are going to go a little deeper maybe than sometimes we do, so hold your breath, and we're going to come up for air at a certain point. Okay? Ready? Okay. Um, Galatians 2.15 says, "...we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not declared righteous by observing the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be declared righteous by the faithfulness of Christ." and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be declared righteous. If while we seek to be declared righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law I die to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Alright, are you still holding your breath? Good, good. Number one then on the slides. Obeying the law doesn't get anybody declared righteous. That's Paul's first point here. Obeying the Old Testament law will not get you declared righteous. He's addressing the Galatian church and he says, I know that there's people in your church that think if you want to be part of the body of Christ, you have to believe in Jesus and you have to obey Torah. They go hand in hand. And Paul says that is not the way it is. If you rely on obeying the law... You will not be declared righteous by God. You will not be justified. That will never happen. It's like this. If you're pointing to the law and saying, look at, how, look, look at what you need to be part of the church, as you're pointing at the law, you've got three fingers pointing back at you because you're a lawbreaker. Okay, That's what he's trying to get at. If you think the law makes you special, guess what? It doesn't. All it does is show what a miserable failure you really are. Do you really want to rely on that? Okay? Ever been around someone that points out all your failures and faults? That's what the law does. It shows you your shortcomings. Now, he also says in verse uh, 18, look at this. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. So last week we talked about how Peter used to eat with the Gentiles And then he started to withdraw from them. And he only ate with the Jewish people. He was attempting to rebuild a wall between Jew and Gentile. He was putting the wall back up. And when Christ knocked the wall down, because a good Jewish person was a person, if you're a male, you were circumcised. You You would eat like a Jew. You would eat clean foods. You would do all the things that they do. You'd follow the law. And that made you look different from the surrounding world. People would see you and go, you are a Jewish person because of the way you act, the way the rules that you follow. You look different. And so Peter was trying to put the wall back up and say, I can't eat with you Gentile people because because the law is in the way. And Paul says, look, if you want to rebuild that thing, don't forget, as you're pointing to it, you've got three fingers pointing right back at you because you're violating that wall. You are violating the law, and all it's pointing to is how miserable you really are. Jesus came to knock that thing down. So why are you rebuilding it? All you've proven is that you're a lawbreaker. Okay? So that's Paul's first point. Obeying the law doesn't get people declared righteous. Secondly, slide two, um, the faithfulness of Christ gets people declared righteous. You want to be justified? You're justified by the faithfulness of Christ of Christ. Now I told you I would defend my translation of faithfulness of Christ because if you're in the NIV it reads that you've put your, your trust uh, you put your faith in Christ. Now, faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ in verse let's point to the verse here in verse 16 uh, it says, "We know that a man is not declared righteous by observing the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ." NIV reads, "but by faith in Jesus Christ." If you're translating that, you have a decision to make because this is a genitive of Jesus Christ is a genitive in Greek and you have a choice. It's either objective or subjective. If it's subjective, what it's saying is it's Jesus Christ's faith. Jesus Christ is the subject in that. Jesus Christ's faith. Or you could translate it Jesus Christ's faithfulness. If it's an objective genitive, then it's the faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Who's the object of your faith? It's Christ. You put your faith in the object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ. So is it objective genitive or subjective genitive? I would argue, and others that that think like me, would be like uh, N.T. Wright, maybe you've heard that name, uh, famous New Testament scholar, would argue that it should be the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The focus is not us putting our faith in Christ. The focus is what he has done. His faithfulness. His perfect life. By the way, if any of you are reading the King James Version this morning, they tra- the King James Translators translated it, f- the faith of Christ. They translated it as a subject of genitive, j- just so you know. So I believe the King James got it right. Okay? Now, does that change our theology in any huge way? Are we still only trying to change the gospel? Not in any way, shape, or form. All we're saying is there's an emphasis here that you can see better if you translate it the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And the the emphasis is, it's not on what I have done to be part of this family of God. It's not on my faith. It's on everything that Jesus has done. He is the faithful one. He is the perfect one. He's the one that came down and he kept the law perfectly. He obeyed the law and even became obedient to death on a cross. He is the faithful one. Okay? Now, that's the second point. Third point is this. Christians, then, are dead to the law because of the death of Christ. Christians are dead to the law because of the death of Christ. This is how it reads. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's point being, when Christ died on the cross, we mysteriously died with him. We have been crucified with Christ. And when Christ died... God took the law and nailed it there with him. I think the verse that I've given you on the back side of your notes is Colossians 2.13. It says, You were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive in, in, with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. So when Christ died, we died with him to the law. We are dead to it now so that we might live for Christ. Paul gives this analogy in Romans. And I think it's a very helpful analogy. When you get married, you say to your spouse, till death do us part. What God has joined together, let no man separate. This is what we say. This is a lifelong vow. We take this vow. Now, Paul says in Romans, if a spouse dies, we are released from the law of marriage. We can now get married to somebody else because our spouse has died. If we have died to the law, then we can belong to somebody else. And that's Jesus Christ. So, conclusion if we can go there Jesus Christ has replaced the law as the center of our identity. Now you can take a breath. Are you OK? All right. <laughs> Didn't lose anybody. Um, wasn't so painless. So not so painful. Um, Jesus Christ has replaced the law as the center of our identity. For a Jewish person, Torah was everything. All right? you ate the right way, you talked the right way, you associated with other Jewish people that were Torah observant. The law was the center of your identity. You knew you were a Jew if you followed the law. And now, that has been put over here so that Christ can be placed here. This is what God is doing. We're identifying with Christ. Okay, so if we go back one week, we talked about how um, Peter withdrew himself from, from the Gentile people. I'm not going to eat with you. Paul confronted him and said, you, Peter, are wrong. You're, you're disobeying the gospel. You stand condemned. Very forceful. The issue is, the issue in that passage was, who is the true church? Who are the true people of God? Who is the true Israel? Israel. And Peter started to act like the Gentiles were not true Israel, not truly the people of God. So, to answer the question, who are the true people of God? Answer, Christ. The true people of God, I know that's plural, I know that drives you grammar people crazy, but... (laughs) The true people of God, true Israel, is Jesus Christ. He is the faithful one. He went to the cross, not you. You were crucified with him mysteriously and fortunately and graciously. But he went to the cross. He was obedient his entire life. He kept every single law. He's the one that never lied. He's the one that never lusted. He's the one that never stole. He is the perfect one. And we are crucified with Him. It's no longer we who live, but He lives in us. So He is the one we're attached to. Do you see Paul's argument here? It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's all about Him. And when you become attached to Christ, you become the people of God. Because Christ is the people of God. Okay, so... I've moved the law aside. Christ has become the center of my identity. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I am a Christ follower. Before I am a filial, I am a Christ follower. He is the center of everything that I am. And sometimes I lose focus. Sometimes I start identifying myself more with a political party or more with my family or more with whatever, and then Christ brings me back and says, no, 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 wait, it's really about me first. And all these other things are submitted to me being first. You've been crucified with me. And you no longer live, I live through you. The life you live in the faith, you live by the faithfulness of me, is what Jesus is saying. You follow my example. You do life my way. I'm showing you how to do this. Okay, So there's a radical change in who we attach ourselves to, which is amazing. So, how then am I supposed to understand the law in relation to Christ? Have I thrown the law aside so that it's no longer useful in my life? No. I I don't do that. So then what place does it take? What am I supposed to do with it? I was reading a major Christian uh, youth ministry magazine and they had an issue dedicated to uh, ministering to students that struggle with homosexuality. It's a good, it was a good, uh, good magazine, very helpful, very informative. The following month, some people wrote in to comment on that particular issue. One of the people that wrote in to comment was one of the regular staff writers of this magazine. Okay, you follow me now? One of the regular writers in this publication wrote a letter to the editor and it was published. And that writer, who I've read for years, for 10 years, and he wrote in and he said, I don't see why we make such a big deal about the Old Testament commands regarding homosexuality. I don't see why we do that. Because we don't worry about what clothing we're wearing like they did. We don't worry about eating the wrong foods. I go out and have sausage on my pizza and it's okay. What's the big deal? And it was a very humorous letter. It was supposed to like poke fun and mock it and say, you know, why are we making a big deal about this in the first place? And I find that supremely frustrating because you're making a mockery of the law of God and you're not helping anyone understand how it's really supposed to be used. And you're a staff writer and you should know better because you're also a pastor. You should know better. Notice Simon said his name. I'm I'm not condemning anybody here. But... But we should know better as a church what to do with the law. And for years I've wondered, what am I supposed to do with it? Okay. So number one. Next slide. What do we do with the law? First of all, I'd say the law has been changed in a good way by the coming of Christ. The law has been changed in a good way by the coming of Christ You have all of those laws about unclean foods, right? What do we do with them? Well, it's easy. The unclean foods point to a new spiritual reality. And the reality is, we Gentiles used to be the outsiders. We were the unclean ones. If someone wants to argue about why we don't, uh, you know, you Christians, why do you guys eat pork? My answer would be this, because I am the pork, you know? I am the unclean one. This is what it points to. Peter had the vision in Acts, remember? Take and eat. Peter, eat this unclean food. I don't eat unclean food, Lord. No, I've cleaned it up. So it points to a new spiritual reality. I'm part of the church. I don't deserve to be, but I am. I'm cleaned up. I am cleaned up. That law has not been destroyed, but it has been changed. It has been changed because Christ has come. Think about this one. How about the commands to stone people? The commands to stone people. Um, People point to those commands and say, well, church, if you're really going to follow the law, why don't you take your rebellious kids out and throw rocks at them? Maybe we can. (laughs) Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. But why don't we? But why don't we? When, Jesus, when they found the woman caught in adultery, which of course this was a very one-sided thing because the guy's nowhere to be seen. Where's he at? But uh, they bring the woman to Jesus. Now she's still guilty. And guess what? She still deserves to die. That may be kind of painful, but she still deserves to die. Just as I deserve to go to hell for what I've done. But there's something about the coming of Christ that has changed the way socially we deal with sin. Right? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus, are you breaking the law? No, but some things have changed and there's some new things coming to light with the gracious and merciful coming of Christ who gave himself on the cross to forgive all sinners and even bad ones like me. The law has been changed in a good way by the coming of Christ. So I expect... Well, let me not go there first. You have a verse in front of you. You have a verse in front of you in the in the notes. It's Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Which begs the question, what in the world does fulfill mean? Well, I did a word study on the word fulfill back in my uh, master's degree program at Bethel Seminary. Um, a good way to understand the word fulfill is to understand it as to fill. Full. See what I did there? (laughs) To fill full. I didn't make that up, by the way. Um, Another brilliant person made that up. Uh, To fill full. That is, Jesus is trying to fill out the law. He's trying to show us what it really means to follow Torah. And I gave you the quote there. Maybe. Oh, here it is in the parentheses. Jesus has come to explain God's original intent as to how he expects us to obey the commands of the Old Testament. So Jesus says, You've heard it said to people long ago, Don't murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You see what Jesus is saying? You heard in the law, don't murder. But I say, behind that command is, Don't hate people. Don't be angry with people. Work through this thing. That's what's really going on here. And I'm showing you what it really means to follow the law. You have heard it said, but I tell you, this is what's really going on. If, if it helps to think of it like this, think of this illustration. My son, Brayden, I asked Marisha permission if I could tell this story, by the way. It's a great story. We're in church, Uh, this was a few years ago, and my kids like to draw in church on paper. And I had a big stack of paper, and uh, I think Brayden decided to make paper airplanes. He was folding up all these wonderful designs. It was making lots of noise during the sermon, okay? And so I said, Brayden, I don't care if you draw, but let's not fold up paper like that. Okay, Dad, okay. So I'm listening to the sermon, and all of a sudden I hear this, I'm like, what is that? You know, And I look over, and, and I, I don't see any paper on um, Braden. I, I don't see anything. And so I'm like, I, I must be hearing things. So I'm listening to the sermon, and I hear it again. And I'm looking, and, and I discovered that he had stuffed paper up his leg. And he's crumpling it. And uh, looks at me, and, Dad, I'm not folding the paper. That's right, you're not. That's right. You obeyed your father. You obeyed your father. Uh, I should conclude my story, even though I think I made my point. But I had to get it out of his leg, and so I'm reaching my hand up his leg, trying to pull this out, and it's just louder and louder. It was bad. Very um, distracting. Um, but he obeyed me. But maybe I didn't wasn't clear enough on the true intention of what I really wanted from him. What I really meant was, I don't want you to do anything that makes noise with paper. That's what I meant. But I said, don't fold it, and he was an obedient son and obeyed me. Um, this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus helps us understand how to really follow the law, he helps us go above and beyond what is called for. Which will take me to my next point. What do we do with the law? Well, we read it to see if we know and love Christ as we ought. We read it to see if we know and love Christ as we ought. I read it and say, "You know what? The law says that I'm not supposed to kill anybody. Well, I'm glad that I've never killed anybody. Have I been angry? Oh yes. Oh yes. In fact, at, at our last board meeting, we were kind of sharing about how as parents, we try to lead our kids and discipline them correctly. How many times have I disciplined in this way? I told you kids not to be so angry. That was scary, wasn't it? Um, Does that shoot me in the foot a little bit, you know, that I've said don't be angry as I am angry? Yes, I think so. And the scripture calls me not to be angry in that way. It does. So if I am radically attached to Christ, he is helping me live out his life, He's showing me how to really obey the Old Testament law. And when I read the law, as number two says, I don't read the law as as someone that says, I'm now going to read the law and and see how good I really am. I read the law to see if I'm following Christ. If you don't put on your Jesus glasses when you read the law, you're not going to understand what the law means. And that is why when the world says to the church, you're hypocrites you follow this command and not that command, what we're really seeing there is they're reading the law without the Jesus glasses on. Because Jesus glasses help you realize, oh, they were commanded to sacrifice which points to Jesus' sacrifice. Oh, the unclean foods point to the Gentiles in the church. It's clear. Oh, some of these moral commands like the homosexual ones point to a moral law of God that doesn't change Ever. That's why you see those laws repeated in the New Testament. Paul does it a number of times. And I condemn no one that struggles with that sin. <laughs> You'll have no judgment coming from me on that. I just, if you struggle with that and you've wondered about that, I want you to understand where God is really coming from. When Jesus says, and he repeats the command in Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, he is repeating the eternal law of. Of God. This is what Jesus stands for. And we can't change it to make our culture feel better. We have to lovingly serve people that disagree with us on this and help them see the truth. And that does not mean getting angry and yelling. (laughs) It means loving well. And so we read the law with Jesus' glasses on so that we can understand what it really means. One more example to help you kind of bring this in a little better. When I was a student in college... I went to Moody Bible Institute. Don't know how that strikes you Wheaton folk. But um, I'm not even going to comment on our choir because I don't need to go there. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> By the way, are any of you from Peoria, Illinois? Any, any Peoria people? Okay, I'm from Peoria. Nuts. That's too bad. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, so where was I going with that? Oh, yes, Moody. Moody Bible Institute. Good school. Good um, they gave me a handbook that I had to follow. Do you have a handbook, Wheaton? You like what you're supposed to... What do you call it? The, covenant, the community covenant. The CC. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So I'm reading the Moody handbook, and I know the rules, okay? I can't go to movies, for goodness sake. Uh, they've changed that, by the way, in recent years. I had to wear khaki pants or dress slacks to class. Girls had to wear dresses. I didn't care about that one. Um... <laughs> Except when it was cold, the girls would all complain. That wasn't very fun. Um, and, uh, what else did they have in there? Oh, no TVs in your dorm rooms. That was another one. And I think that one still stands, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, but, oh, and, and, and no, no drinking alcohol in, in any, in any measure, whether it's large or small, no drinking whatsoever. Um, that governed my life for four years. That governed my life. I remember the last day of the semester. <laughs> I would get out of class and I would be going home, you know, and I'd be like, I think I can see a movie tonight cuz I'm officially done. I think I can legally. <laughs> and and so I would. All that to say, I had a friend. I remember a friend who saw a movie once at the IMAX and he tried to say, it's not a real movie, it's an IMAX. <laughs> I said, "No, I don't think it is." And then he then he felt racked with guilt and he turned himself in. It was really funny. <laughs> I think he saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I think that's what he saw in the IMAX. Wouldn't that be worth it, though? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but in any case, I remember graduation day. I didn't burn my, my Moody Handbook. Um, but I did realize I was no longer governed by the rules of that institution, as fine as it was. It no longer governed my life. Now, I had to make my own decisions Would I, Will I follow Christ in the movies that I watch? Will I follow Christ in how I deal with alcohol? Will I follow Christ in all of those things? And now it's between me and Jesus and not between me, Jesus, and Moody. We've cut out the middleman there, you know. It's just me and Jesus and my wife, of course. She's pretty good at accountability too. Um, but all that to say, Jesus is now the center of my life and I've got to relate to him in the right way. And and he's not calling me just to do a checklist of I obeyed that law, that law, that law, that law. He's calling me to go above and beyond. If you hear this this morning, and, and maybe some of you are worried because you heard me say, we are dead to the law. The law no longer governs our life. Oh my goodness. We're just going to toss it out and do what we want. No, we don't. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to require more of you than the law. He's going to require more of you That's why it says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, not to look at a person in lust. I'm sorry, but that's a lot harder than the adultery command. That's all there is to it. And I'm called to a higher standard in Christ. But it's okay because I've been crucified with him and now I can live my life by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been given to me. I have every ability to do this in him. And when I fail, he's there. Okay, so um, all of that to say, number three, lastly, make sure we say this. We don't pass judgment on disputable matters. Paul says that in Romans, by the way. You might have that verse on your notes here. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So there are things in the law that Christians might interpret differently. The Sabbath is Saturday, folks. And yet we're worshiping on a Sunday. We are breaking Torah as we speak. (laughs) But Paul seems to think that if we regard Sunday as holy, that's okay. It's okay. Because we're doing it out of the conviction that Christ rose on a Sunday. This is a day to celebrate. This is a life-changing, history-changing day, the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so we worship on Sunday. And it's okay. We don't pass judgment on disputable matters. Now, about tattoos, (laughs) I won't ask for a show of hands. Um, I wonder about tattoos because, in the same verse that says, "Don't cut your body for the dead," is Paul? Not Paul. I am sorry. Is the writer of Leviticus Moses? Is is he saying, or whoever wrote it? There is some disagreement on that too. But is that writer emphasizing not to take part in pagan rituals that require marking your skin? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying God really doesn't want you to put permanent marks on your body? He's just against it. I'm not going to pass judgment on that disputable matter. I know how my wishes will go in my family... I'm not crazy about my kids getting a tattoo. (laughs) That's how I feel personally. But I'm not passing that off in the church as, Thus saith the Lord. Teenagers, look at me. Where are you? Don't worry about the tattoo command. Worry about this command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So if your parents say, No tattoos, and you say, But I don't follow Torah, okay? They could rightfully say, does that mean you don't honor your father and mother either? Well, that's fine and well and good, right? I mean, you're a great disobedient child. Maybe I'm going to follow Tehran, pick up some rocks. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, okay. Uh, yes. Children, obey your parents. It's a moral command of God. It doesn't go away. It hasn't been changed in any way. Christ came to fulfill that by being completely obedient to his parents. He was sitting in the temple, right? Enjoying himself as a 12-year-old, teaching the other teachers of the law. You know, having a great time. And his parents said, what are you doing? Come home with us. And it says he was obedient to his parents and went home with them. So the tattoo command, teenagers, that's how it is. <laughs> okay, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that your days may be long. Okay, okay. Um, now, for the rest of you, for the rest of you, you've got to work this out and say, any way that I read the tattoo verse, certainly one thing it has to mean is that I honor God with my skin. Certainly it has to mean that. I don't mark my body for the dead. That's a pagan ritual. I don't do that. And however I view tattoos, if you say that you, tattoos are okay, at least you have to say they better glorify your Savior. We can at least agree on that. So, we don't pass judgment on disputable matters. We don't throw rocks at these things. And quite frankly, um, maybe my last word on this is, if Moses were there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I tell you. I want to show you how to really fulfill the law. If Moses would have heard Jesus preach that, and maybe he did in in a different way, but if he was there among the audience, he would have been the loudest person saying, Amen. Amen. He would have. He would have said, that's what we were supposed to be doing. That was the real point. Do you get it, people? Jesus is embodying everything the law was pointing to. And so when we read the law, we also ought to say, Amen. Amen. Okay. I think that's about it. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Did you come up for enough air? Okay. Okay. Uh, for those of you here this morning that say, wow, I feel like this is incredibly hard. I mean, you've given me 600-some commands of the Old Testament to think about (laughs) and to figure out how I'm going to follow Christ in those things. Look, look, Christ gives you the grace to obey Him. He's the center of your life now. He's the center of your identity now. Everything's about the faithfulness of Christ. But look at the last verse of... uh, last verse of our section here, Galatians 2, verse 21, it says, I don't set aside the grace of Christ. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I don't set aside the grace of Christ, and neither do I. So if you feel overwhelmed this morning by what we are called to, this life of holiness, it's okay, because the grace of Christ helps you live like Christ. And when you fail and you sin, the grace of Christ Helps you get up, dust yourself off, walk in forgiveness, and keep living like Christ. So whether you succeed or whether you fail, at the end of every day, in the beginning of every day, you get the grace of Christ. And that is really cool. And that's the only reason I can stand up here and preach if it was not for the grace of Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted this grace and you've heard me talk about sins, there's no sin that is unforgivable. And there's no hierarchy of sins in this church, just so you know. We don't elevate certain sins and say, this one's worse than this one, so we're going to treat you, you know. Um, I realize some sins have greater consequences, and I don't ignore that by any means. But we're not passing judgment on you this morning. We're offering you the grace of Christ. Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead. If you want that, I encourage you to talk to him this morning. Do business with him. I wish I had a Q&A time after this. Wouldn't that be fun? We should do that sometime. But um, in any case, for the rest of us, we have the grace of Christ. We can do this. Christ is the center of our identity. So now I invite you to stand up and let's go with the blessing of Christ.